Hey guys, welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, it is a AFC North themed show. We have Brooke Pryor of ESPN breaking down everything with the Kenny Pickett and Mitchell Trubisky Steelers situation. What went wrong? What was surprising? And what happens next for the Steelers? Plus, Ben Baby joins us to talk about the Bengals and their topsy-turvy start at two and two in advance of a very interesting game against the Ravens. But first, before we start today's show, I want to plug a podcast, which is by, of all people, ESPN and Enscape contributor, Dominique Foxworth, who has a new podcast every Tuesday and Thursday. Dominique is bringing you his unique perspectives on football with the personalities surrounding. So check out the Dominique Foxworth show and listen wherever you get your podcast. All right, joining me now here on the Bill Barnwell Show, as promised, a frequent contributor to the Bill Barnwell Show, a frequent contributor to Get Up, a woman who does incredible work breaking down and covering the Steelers, one of the league's most curious teams in so many ways. And that's what we're going to talk about today with my friend Brooke Pryor. Brooke, how are you? I'm I'm okay. I'm I'm probably better than the Steelers quarterback room is right now. Uh, <laughs> I can't imagine what those meetings are like. So yeah, I'm I am uh, I'm just chilling and and th- and trying to make sense of what is going on with with the team that I cover. That that never occurred to me. That must be a very awkward situation, actually. Oh, the vibes are terrible. They've got <laughs> they've got to be so bad. Like, do you bring like donuts as like if does Kenny Pickett bring donuts as like an, a, a sort of apology, even though it's not really his fault for what happened? Right. I, I, I don't I don't I don't know what you do. I I I feel for literally every party in this scenario, even Mason Rudolph, who is just in the back. Like, <laughs> I mean, he is Amy Poehler with the with the hoodie up deuces yep. like I'm straight up just not having a good time yep. is it's yeah it, it, it's a situation it feels weird that everyone has been wronged in some strange way like that's the sign of a, a poor handling of a situation I mean this is bachelor in paradise and Ooh, like date cards have come out yeah I mean <laughs> that, that's that's really my wheelhouse is comparing NFL team drama to uh bad reality shows not that bachelor in paradise is bad we love the bachelor franchise um flawed as it is <laughs> anyway there this I mean this is really what it is it's it is just it's it's messy all the way around and it could have been avoided and yet here we are going into what are we going into week five mm-hmm. I feel like I'm just I, we this could have been avoided in so many ways and yet this is the decisions the coaching staff made uh, have led us to where we are now and that is Kenny Pickett starting in Buffalo yeah this feels like a Love Island ceremony where Mike Tomlin chose Kenny Pickett unexpectedly and then we just turned to Mitch Trubisky and he just looked sad and confused because he had been told otherwise uh <laughs> it it is a really strange situation and so i want to start from your perspective as someone who covers the team closely let's just start from halftime of week four the steelers are struggling they're playing the jets they don't look great on offense and then we hear the news that kenny pickett is coming out to start the second half of this game mitch trubisky has been benched what were your thoughts were you surprised to see that happening Yes. I mean, I throughout the week, like, so there were 10 days 
between the Steelers Thursday night loss in Cleveland and this game against the Jets on Sunday. And so I had asked Mike Tomlin Thursday night after that loss, because we wouldn't talk to him again until the next Tuesday. I said, you have 10 days. Are you considering making a change at play caller, offensive coordinator or quarterback? And he started down this rambling path saying like, I'm not, that's the last thing on my mind. I'm not considering it. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of paused and he was like, to answer your question, definitively no. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay. So we have definitively no, there are no changes to offensive coordinator or quarterback for 10 days. And Mm -hmm. so, and then we talked to him Tuesday and the message is shut out the noise, patience, I'm seeing encouraging signs, right? Mm -hmm. I'm at practice every single day. And when Kenny Pickett says, there was no warning that I was going in. There was, there was no like, Hey man, maybe you should take some reps with the mm-hmm. ones. Mm-hmm. I can tell you he, that, that is exactly what happened there. There were no like, gee, maybe we should throw Kenny in working with the first team just in case that's mm-hmm. not happening. Like Kenny is, Kenny is the second team quarterback. He is the backup quarterback. And so mm-hmm. he starts warming up and Mitch Trubisky has a hat on. And I'm just thinking, really? Are, <laughs> I, I thought that, I'm not saying that there's ever a day where you should mail your job in by any means. That is not what I am saying. But what I'm saying is I thought that it was going to be a relatively drama free Sunday Mm -hmm. because certainly if the Steelers were going to make a quarterback change against the New York Jets, they would have put in a plan and Mm -hmm. and done things to, to tip their hand leading up to it or at least open the possibility that they were considering changes Mm-hmm. And uh, instead, what happened at halftime, I didn't think that Mitch Trubisky was playing terribly. Mm-hmm. He wasn't playing any worse than he had been. And perhaps right. that's the problem, you know, there he just wasn't. I, I thought he was taking some steps forward. I think he was taking baby steps. Mike Tomlin wanted to see giant leaps. Mm-hmm. And so basically, Mike Tomlin went in at halftime and he said, we need a spark. Kenny's in. And that was kind of that. And he had not practiced with the first team. He hadn't like repped with -hmm. those guys since the preseason. Mm -hmm. And then it was just like, okay, man, we need to spark your in. Um, And so to the, the vibes thing that I said earlier about the quarterback room, I vibes is my word of the week. And I'm so sorry. And that makes me, I am, I am almost 31 years old and I'm (laughs) talking like I'm about 23 and a half. I, I I say 38 year old. I will be sent to jail if I say vibes. So I'm okay, not. I'll say it for you. Thank you. Thank you. This my takeaway right now is that it feels like the Steelers quarterback situation is no plans, just vibes. <laughs> like that is Mike Tomlin said. We need a spark. We're not feeling it with Mitch Kenny. You're up. You're gonna be our spark. And like it. It worked, but they still lost. He did what you would expect a rookie quarterback to do. And so mm-hmm. the Steelers are one in three, but Kenny Pickett is the starter and he's exciting, but like that he didn't fix the offense. He did he didn't he certainly didn't fix the defense. This this is still a team that has a lot of questions going forward. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So everything you said makes total sense to me. What Mike Tomlin did makes no sense to me. And so I guess my question for you is trying to think about this situation from Mike Tomlin's perspective, given that he was so adamant after week three that they were not going to make a move and then decided to make a move halfway through week four in a game where, like you said, Mitch was not playing 
great, but he was playing like Mitch. He was playing the same way he played through the first three weeks, if anything, given that the interception was not really his fault, maybe even a little better than Mitch had played in prior weeks. What what changed in Mike Tomlin's brain to make that flip from, from Trubisky to Pickett, do you think? Gosh, I feel like I need to just like think in platitudes and <laughs> have some good catchphrases. Uh, but I, to put myself in Mike Tomlin's shoes, I mean, I, he, he has been in the same stadiums that I've been in and he can tell me all he wants that the team needs to shut out the noise and he doesn't hear the Kenny Pickett chants. But like, look, the, the offense was flat with Mitch Trubisky, even mm-hmm. as he's making steps, mm-hmm. it still felt more like a death rattle than a breath of life. It, Mm -hmm. it never felt like this team, even though he was voted captain, it all felt very forced. Mm -hmm. And I feel for Mitch in this situation, but in a lot of ways he was doomed from the second they drafted Kenny Pickett, they Mm -hmm. could have drafted any other quarterback and we would not be having this conversation, but they draft the guy who is familiar to this fan base, who has had his name chanted at every single game at Acrisure Stadium, that still sounds wrong, but it, at, at Heinz Field, rest in peace. And I think that in some ways, Mike Tomlin's like, you know what? We do need a spark because this, no matter how many times we, we strike the flint or whatever it is that you're doing to start a fire, it's not going to happen. The wood is damp. We have to do something. And so mm-hmm. he took Kenny Pickett, this big pile of leaves, and he <laughs> dropped it in the campfire. I used to be a camp counselor. I'm very familiar with <laughs> With like 13 year olds looking at me being like, we have to eat dinner tonight. Please make this fire. (laughs) And so you just grab some leaves and you grab your matches and you just start lighting it. Mm -hmm. And you hope that that's going to catch. I, I do understand the value in you need to turn things around. You, You need to pull out all the stops. But the thing is, you only get that element of surprise once. And Mm -hmm. I think that, that it is a gamble. And Mike Tomlin knows that he is, taking a gamble here in ditching this. He, he's a very methodical coach. And mm-hmm. I think that he saw that this season is just going off the rails and the defense is not playing well. This is, this is not a playoff team. Mm-hmm. And so at this point, I think he feels, what do you have to lose? They've talked about Kenny Pickett's maturity. So you know what? It, he may not end up with uh, any wins in his first four starts mm-hmm. as a professional player, but he, he, the hope is that he's mature enough to handle the ups and the downs. And so let's just throw him into the deep end. He's got a sink or swim and the lifeguard is on break, like at the snack shack, getting a popsicle. Good luck. <laughs> for the next month. For the next for the next month. It's adult swim. Good luck. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, well, all, my, all my summer jobs are coming in very yes. relevant to this conversation. And and they all seem to be very anxiety inducing, if I'm being honest with you, Brooke. It explains a lot, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I want to I want to take Mike Tomlin at, 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 at his word. I think he's a very good coach. And I think this isn't the easiest situation. I don't know that the options available to Mike Tomlin are great, to be fair. But let me ask you, in terms of what Mike Tomlin said after week three, when he said, you know, we're moving forward with with Mitch and Matt Canada. We'll get to Matt Canada later, but Mitch and Matt Canada asked the, asked the QB and the play caller definitively no, like you said. Or before the year, there were reports that the Steelers planned on sitting Kenny Pickett all season. 
when those things were said or they were reported, do you think the organization believed those things when they had when they were reported uh, in terms of the the picket report or in terms of what Mike Tomlin actually said to the media? Do you think they believed those things in their heart or were they just sort of stalling for, you know, the the right moment for Pickett to come in and they were going to have this happen eventually and they realized it? We're just trying to basically buy time until they could get Pickett in there. I, I, I think that this was a buying time thing. I also think that it was done to give Mitch Trubisky confidence mm-hmm. um, because this is a guy who came to Pittsburgh in hopes to restart his career. I mean, we'd heard how much he'd learned in Buffalo and how much Brian Dayball had helped him and working with Josh Allen had helped him. I mean, I feel like, no, this organization did not believe that Mitch Trubisky was going to start all season if, Mm. if things were going well. Um, I think that Mitch Trubisky was always on a leash. Just the, the length changed kind of based on evaluation and I think, you know, also there, there is the possibility, and I'm not ruling this out, they talked about him being pro-ready, Kenny Pickett being pro-ready when they drafted him because of his age, maturity, experience, and a pro system, all of those things. But I think it, it was kind of a, a wait and see how he really transitioned. So they had the Mitch Trubisky safety net, and I think they were willing to ride it out. They, they could afford to be patient with Pickett. But the minute that he got in that that first preseason game and the second half and led the game-winning drive of a preseason game, I I have been to more preseason games than I am happy with. (laughs) And that is the most electric atmosphere of any preseason game I've ever seen. And I think at that point, the coaching staff and the organization thought, Okay, good news. We really hit on the quarterback thing, guys. Like he, this was a not a good class, but we we already felt like we'd found our guy. And now look at this response that we're mm-hmm. getting from the offense, from the crowd, from everything. But oh man, now we've got an awkward situation with Mitch. And we there is there's more loyalty to Kenny Pickett, but there has to be some to Mitch Trubisky because mm-hmm. you brought him into the situation. And so I, I think that. Mitch Trubisky was always going to be taken out at some point in the season. And I talked to Kurt Warner about this when he was talking about when he was with the Giants and mm-hmm. they, they already had Eli Manning on the roster. So it was a little bit of a different situation, but mm-hmm. he knew that he was not the guy long-term. And so you just have to go in there and do everything you can until they inevitably pull the plug. But I think that the staff was just trying to bolster Mitch to give him the best platform to set up, you know, whether it's, long, whether, you know, wherever he goes next, at least give him a nice resume to go with. And instead, I think that he felt the pressure of having the rookie behind him. He felt the pressure of the fan base and and everyone else that felt like in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. want the the rookie to come in, the, the guy that they know that they have known to come in. And it, it was just a tough situation all the way around. But to answer your question, no, I, I don't think that they really believed in their heart that we wouldn't see Kenny Pickett until 2023. Mm-hmm. From the locker room's perspective, do you think they were antsy for a change and maybe that influenced Tomlin's thinking? I think that they were antsy for a change on offense. I don't think that it necessarily had to come from the quarterback position. Um, I think that there was frustration with Matt Canada's play calling. Um, I think that there was also frustration and this is on Mitch and also I think just in uh, of the situation in general is Mm -hmm. that 
they like Mitch Trubisky as a human. I mean, again, he was voted captain. Mm -hmm. He had the guys over. He was doing all the right things. He is the, when you talk to the guys in the locker room, the things that I heard over and over again, good guy, great leader, good person. Mm -hmm. Nobody talked about killer instinct with, with the football. I mean, he was always like, yeah, he's a good player. We trust in him, but it was more like, "Mm, he's, he's the good guy. He's like, he gets the Mr. Congeniality award, but we, (laughs) we really want Miss America. And I think that because of that, I'm sure that there was some discontent because they also like the wide receivers wanted the ball down the field. They wanted an opportunity to make chances. And whether it's Matt Canada saying, no, you can't do that. Not giving him the ability to audible or Mitch being too scared to be aggressive and risky, knowing that his leash could tighten up at any minute and he could Mm -hmm. get pulled. It just, it wasn't working across the board. And so the switch flipped once Pickett went in and talking with guys like Pat Fryermuth and Deontay Johnson. I mean, they all talked about Kenny Pickett playing with swagger, uh, with aggression, taking risks, things like that. And understanding they, they, I think are a lot more willing to forgive the interceptions and the, mm-hmm. the tipped balls and the rookie mistakes because he will also then give you a chance to make a play on a deep ball, like the Pat Fryermuth catch the chase Claypool interception. Yeah, it was an interception, but like, I think Claypool was at least happy to get that opportunity mm-hmm. to try to make a play on a ball. And we just weren't seeing that consistently with Mitch. Yeah. I mean, I, I have questions about the decision to throw into double coverage, but at least like yes. it was a shot and it was a shot for a player who wants to hit those big players. Absolutely. Um, here's a, a tough question for you that maybe is not fair for you to answer, but oh boy. Uh, what, what happens if this doesn't work? Like, what happens if Kenny Pickett is just terrible in the first couple of weeks against this murderer's row of, of opposing defenses he has to play? Like, do you think this is just Pickett's job for the rest of the year, no matter how bad he is? Or would they go back to Mitch Trubisky if Pickett's confidence was shattered? I mean, by the reasoning of no plans, just vibes, like <sighs> the door has to be cracked for Mitch, right? Like I was Mm -hmm. thinking about this last night. It's the reasoning makes this so much messier. If, if the reason had been, it was time for Kenny Pickett. We felt like I I can't even think of like what the, if it had been more planned out and he started the jets game or he didn't come in at all against the jets and he was going to start against Buffalo um, you know, Mitch finishes the game, doesn't have a good game, whatever. And it's just like, it's time to turn this franchise over to Kenny Pickett. And it had made been made in that way. But because the reasoning was Mike Tomlin said, you know, when you know, you know, um, just a gut feeling. I think that makes this a lot messier because what if his gut feeling changes? Mm-hmm. I don't think it will. I think that the Steelers will ultimately stick with Kenny Pickett, even if he is terrible, Um, but as Mike Tomlin said in August, 2020, and it was the first thing that popped in my head during the game is you can't put the jello back in the box, um, which is Mike Tomlin's way of saying you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, but I like the jello analogy a lot. Um, because yeah, you you can't like it's when it's gelatinous like that, it's going to make the box nasty and gross. (laughs) And if it's the powder, well, you're never going to get all the powder back in the box and you've made this decision and now you have to stick with it because going back to the other guy that to me would hurt Kenny Pickett's development much more than playing badly against the toughest opponents in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was also why 
I said from the beginning that I wanted the Steelers to be cautious and intentional with Kenny Pickett because the last thing you want to do is hurt a young quarterback's confidence. And no, he's not young in football years because he's 24, but like he's still an NFL rookie. You know, there's you have to be so careful how you manage these guys and you hope that you found someone with the personality and the 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 football DNA that they can kind of withstand that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's still just I they have to be really careful from what they do from here on out because they have made this decision and they need to stick with it. Um, and I thought it was interesting too, that Mike Tomlin said they did consider going back to Mitch Trubisky for this Buffalo game because of his familiarity with Buffalo. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been a huge mistake for all the same reasons that I just listed. Why, why would you, you know, smash glass in case of emergency and press the button and then be like, just kidding. Can <laughs> Put it back away. That? Can, can, can we glue this? Can, can, can we get, uh, can, can we get the janders in here, clean this yes. up? Like everybody put on your gloves. We're going to reassemble the glass. Like yes. you can't do that. The, the jello is out of the box. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you know, I think there's always a possibility that Mitch comes back in, but I don't think you can do it this quickly. Like at this point you've, you've, you've picked, Kenny Pickett and you might as well stick with it. But and one one more point please. to that. Um in 2019 when Ben Roethlisberger was out, Mason Rudolph replaced him. Mason goes out for a little bit because of his I think he he had a concussion. Mm-hmm, he comes yeah. back in, but then the Thursday night game at the Browns, obviously mm-hmm. the situation with Miles Garrett and he wasn't playing well anyway. He starts the next week in Cincinnati. He gets pulled at halftime for Duck Hodges. Then Duck Hodges becomes a starter for a little bit. And then Duck's not playing well. And then Mason goes back in. That's the last thing you want because that season, it was okay because those guys were not the permanent solution. Right. Like nobody nobody was having the conversation of, are Mason Rudolph or Duck Hodges going to be the next Ben Roethlisberger? Like that you could kind of, that you could, I think, like, not you're not going to lick a battery, but like lick your finger and, and and like tap the battery to try to get like the last juice out of it and flip it around to get the sparks. You could do that that season because those quarterbacks were not your future. This guy is your future. You have to be so careful with how you manage him going forward. Don't lick the battery. Also, Don't seems like something battery. you had to tell people at summer camp. Yeah. Yes. More times than than is normal for a human <laughs> being. So. My final question here for you, Brooke, is about the person you alluded to earlier, Matt Canada, the Steelers offensive coordinator. So uh, there have been complaints, it certainly seems like, about Matt Canada's play calling. I didn't think the stuff he ran for Kenny Pickett looked all that great, frankly. So, I mean, is there a possibility the Steelers would make a in-season change at offensive coordinator if Kenny Pickett is not the answer? Well... Uh, I didn't think they were going to halftime put their rookie first round pick mm-hmm. in. So what do I know? Um, <laughs> but the Steelers, that would be even more unprecedented than putting a new quarterback in at halftime. They don't, this is not an organization that fires coordinators in season. I forget mm-hmm. the last time that it happened, but it has been a while. And also I don't know who would then be your play caller. Um, we know Mike Tomlin is a defensively minded guy, Um, I don't think that he would take over offensive play calling duties by any means. Um, So that leaves you with, I mean, there's Mike Sullivan, the quarterback's coach. There's Eddie Faulkner, running back's coach. Two very good coaches. I don't know that they would be the right fit for play caller the rest of the season. I think Mm -hmm. that it would just be 
disastrous to, I can't believe I'm saying it would be disastrous to fire Matt Canada (laughs) in season, but I, the options behind are not great. And that's not to say that like Eddie Faulkner couldn't be an offensive coordinator and he couldn't run his own play calls because I think he is fully capable of that. But in this situation, I don't know that that's what you want to do. And I also think that that would be more mismanagement for Kenny Pickett and his future. Um, I, you know, maybe that, I think that that is certainly an an after the season conversation, Mm -hmm. but I mean, I think that Tomlin also had a choice in that 10 days. If you were going to part ways with one person, he chose neither. And then said, just kidding. I choose the quarterback. (laughs) Um, I don't think he's also now going to say, just kidding. Also the offensive coordinator is going to go. I I think that Matt Canada is is staying through the rest of the season as much as that's going to frustrate everyone to hear that. Yeah. I mean, certainly it seems like, you know, like what, what are they going to do? That's going to be better. You can't install a new offense in the course of a week. You know, you can't, you can't bring in an OC from outside. Who's going to be better in mid season. It just, it's really, really hard to pull that off. So I mean, after the season, like you said, certainly seems like the writing is on the wall that these two parties are going to split amicably, not amicably. We will we'll see in the future, but it just they're so hard to do that in midseason, even though like I feel like that's such an easy thing for fans to kind of be like, oh, fire the OC. Well, well what's the alternative? Like, like right. what, the, someone else running the same offense or waiting until we have a new offense in the offseason. So exactly. Well, and the other thing is, by the way. The defense is not a championship level defense. So it, it doesn't matter what you're doing on offense right now. If this defense without TJ Watt can't mm-hmm. stop the run, can't get pressure on the quarterback, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. It doesn't matter what plays he's making. The, unless they're going like full air raid and just like just just straight up big 12 mm-hmm. offense and just, you know, go crazy. It it's not gonna matter. This the team top to bottom is in a lot of trouble. And I think we could be looking at Mike Tomlin's first uh, losing season as a head coach. <gasps> I said it. I said I it. I know. I I, I'm not, I'm not ready for it, to be honest with you. Like I love them. I love the Mike Tomlin streak. It's the, it's the coolest thing to me that like, he looks like he's in terrible shape and the offense is a disaster. And like that, that, that year where they were, they lost Ben Roethlisberger after week two, and it was going to be Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges all year. And he still managed to pull it off. The the guy is so is an incredible coach. And if he pulls it off, he should be the coach of the year. That's <laughs> you're that's, right. He's he's my vote for coach of the year if the Steelers finish above five hundred. I'm saying it today on October fifth. That's mm-hmm. what's happening. And and I think frankly, uh Mickey Fitzpatrick should win MVP, given that it's probably gonna require about seventeen pick sixes for the Steelers to get there. <laughs> per game. Per game, make, make it just new. we got to get at least two pick sixes per game from you for us to have a chance to win this contest. He almost, he almost had one last week. You, if he had, if he had run in that pick six last week, he would have more touchdowns than any of the Steelers running backs, wide receivers, or tight ends, which is pretty impressive. That's impressive. Also, horribly sad. Yeah, and just just deflating. Yeah, yeah. That's the way the cookie crumbles for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But Brooke. Where can people check out your ongoing coverage of all things Steelers and the NFL as well? On Twitter at BE Pryor and on ESPN.com under our NFL page. And uh, Fridays right now for a little bit, I'll be on Get Up. So, you know, tune in for more summer job analogies. It's going to be great. Brooke, thank you so much. 
This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Always fun talking with Brooke Pryor about the Steelers. Now joining me to break down the defending champions of the AFC North and the AFC in advance of a crucial divisional matchup against the Ravens on Sunday. It is ESPN's Ben Baby. Ben, how are you? I'm doing well, Bill. I think like Brooke and everybody else in the AFC North, we're trying to make sense of what we saw the first four <laughs> weeks because there's there's a lot to unpack there yeah it's been a crazy division through four weeks and this is not typically a crazy division typically it's kind of stable you know like the Steelers are going to be good the Ravens are going to be good the Bengals they, they're the wild card I think most years the Browns are typically bad and obviously that's changing in recent years and the Bengals of course so good last year winning the division making it all the way to the Super Bowl and this has been a very topsy-turvy start to 2022 obviously Bengals fans had high expectations after what happened last year and then they lose the first two games of the year the sky is falling it's a mess in Cincinnati and then they went too straight and so problem solved maybe they're back to where they were a year ago from what your perspective Ben what's changed for the Bengals to go from that 0-2 start now to 2-2 really I think when you look at it the the defense has really carried things a long way and uh, when you look at the, it, it really looks like the way they played towards the end of last season, where mm-hmm. the offense was doing just enough to win games, uh, but the defense was really carrying the team. We've definitely seen that when you look at you know their defensive drive rates, the, how many touchdowns they've allowed, just one touchdown in the last two games. And you know, I, I think you've got to give defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo and that unit a ton of credit. And mm-hmm. you know, all of that being said, I think the Bengals have done a good job of, of that turnover margin. Obviously, in that first game, you know, they had a t- you know had some issues. Joe Burrow's first live action back since that emergency appendectomy mm-hmm. had at the start of training camp. I think they've done a good job the last couple of weeks of taking care of the ball. Um, you know, not not trying to take too many unnecessary risks and capitalizing on chances offensively when they have them. Mm-hmm. But by and large, I think the, the reason that they've been able to win these games the last couple of weeks is because the defense has just played really well when you look at it. You know, their, their red zone efficiency has been been really good. Their, their touchdown rate, their, their, their points a lot per drive, all of those things, all those big defensive metrics, uh, they've been really exceptional at. Yeah, I mean, up to seventh now in DVOA, allowed 25 points over the last two weeks. Great numbers for them. What do you think it is about this defense that makes it play at such a high level? 
you know, I, I think that there's a, a lot of familiarity with everybody on that on that side of the ball. I mm-hmm. think that they've all been there for a good amount of time, and and there seems to be a lot of you know chemistry and trust, not just between you know the the staff and the players, but with each other. And the fact that you you can you know you have confidence that everybody's going to essentially know their assignment, going to do mm-hmm. their job, and then they're going to execute it at a high level. You know, they've seen it all work. Uh, you know, and and you know there were a lot of questions. I'll be honest. Uh, you know, especially the fan base were wondering how Anaruma was going to fare, whether he should come back for a year three, mm-hmm. uh, you know, going into 2021 and last year. And then this year with the pieces that he's been given uh, now that they overhauled the roster, you know, which mm-hmm. I think it definitely needed to be done when you look at what he had to work with initially. I think that, you know, that's definitely been a unit that's been so much more productive. I think the one thing you could probably have quibbles with are the sack rates and the pressure rates. Mm-hmm. That, that being said though, you know, it seems like defense. You know, opposing offenses have gotten the ball out relatively quickly. Uh, you know, whether the the time to throw numbers, you know, reflect that or not. Even just just looking at it, you can definitely get a sense that that teams are getting the ball out. Uh, you know, that's why. You know, when we talked to Anarumo, he he's mentioned that as well. And, and I think that it, it's interesting because really, you know, the last couple of weeks have been the only times we've seen offenses take a lot of substantial risks against the Bengals. And if you'll notice, you know, the Bengals have gotten ahead in both of those games. Mm-hmm. So you can play a lot of chicken or the egg, you know, what's, what's, you know, what's been the key is that the offense getting out to a hot start and letting the defense play from a, from a solid position and forcing offenses into taking those risks mm-hmm. or has it been, you know, the other way around where, you know, the, you know, other teams, when you, when you look at the, the Cowboys and the Steelers who were just happy to take what they could, you know, weren't going to push a lot of tight windows mm-hmm. and therefore, you know, they were able to to be in some good in situations throughout those games. It's very fascinating complex, but I, I think when you all in all, you know, when you look at the skill players or you look at the players on that side of the ball defensively, you have to be impressed when you talk about guys like Shidabe Awuzie, Trey Hendrickson. I think Sam Hubbard's having an exceptional year, mm-hmm. to be quite honest. I think he's playing really well. He spent a lot of time uh, in the offseason working on some of his pass rush moves and becoming mm-hmm. a more more well-rounded player, and that's definitely come to fruition. You know, guys like Jesse Bates, Von Bell, you could almost go on and on, Logan Wilson, a lot of guys playing very well on that side. Yeah, and I think what really strikes me about the Bengals is that given that they spent so much money in free agency to bring in a lot of these pieces, how many of the guys they brought in have played better in Cincinnati than they did elsewhere? And Awuzie is the guy who comes to mind for me as the classic example, a guy who was a, you know, a solid cornerback in Dallas, not a superstar, but a decent player, you know, maybe like a, a, a starter, but not necessarily a starter that you're thrilled about. And he's been incredible. I mean, he he had a 103 and a half passer rating allowed his last year in Dallas according to Pro Football Reference, now down to 75.1 in 2021 last year. That was a big step forward. This year, 53.3. I mean, quarterbacks are completing under 36% of the passes thrown in his direction. I mean, that's superstar numbers. And that's a guy who was not being paid like a superstar. It's not, you know, not expected to be a superstar, but has gotten so much better and been so much more productive since joining the Bengals. Yeah, you know, it's, it's wild when you talk to guys on staff, you know, during preseason, I think the resounding consensus was people aren't talking about a as much as they should. And the fact that he, he, like you said, you know, he might be one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. And when they, when they got him, like you said, I think there was still an expectation that, you know, when he was here and when you look at the money that was paid, because the money always tells a story. Yep. 
Uh, you know, Trey Waynes was paid to be their cornerback one. Yep. That did not work out for for various reasons. You know, a lot of injury concerns, uh, and just that he never he never really panned out in Cincinnati mm-hmm. when they got him in 2020 as part of that big free agency splash that that landed uh, DJ Reader as well, mm-hmm. and was a sign of the Bengals really changing the way that they viewed external free agents. You know, mm-hmm. they, they brought in uh, Awuzier on a very, you know, solid. It's a, it was a very team-friendly deal. You know, mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of risk involved. And he's come out and he just really performed at, at a completely different level than what he's being paid. And so, mm-hmm. you know, he, he could be in line to make more money whenever this deal is up. And I think you've also got to give credit to the pieces around him, too. That's secondary. Uh, when you look at how good the safeties are in Von Bell and Jesse Bates, I think that allows the cornerbacks to play with a lot of confidence. And, and you know, there's... I think you have to give the Bengals credit as well in understanding and identifying the type of guys they wanted in their system, you know, the type of players, you know, the, the makeup, you know, that cornerback room is so well, you know, it's a, so close knit, you know, you saw it during the whole Eli Apple Tyree kill uh, d- drama before the week four game and that mm-hmm. everybody essentially had Eli's back in that room. And that that hasn't always been the case, you know, especially, you know, when you look at them 2019, in, in my opinion, I, I that that group just did not really have the cohesion it needed to be successful, and you saw mm-hmm. that on the field. And I think the fact that those guys get you know they get along so well. I mean, they're the corners are always hanging out in the locker room. Every time we're in there, they're always the ones religiously on a daily basis hanging out, either playing poker, or eating lunch, doing something. Like they, I think that there is something to be said for the fact that that group is playing so well, and the fact that you know, they do have that, that, that tight connection. And that does, you know, when, when you're in games and you're able to make checks, you know, for example, you'll go back, there was a, I believe it was a third down play goal line, you know, going, I guess, towards from the press, going to the left side of the press box. And if you go back and look at the tape, Jesse Bates appears to make a call right before, uh, right at the end of pre-snap and, and signals to a woozy a, and they end up making, it looks like a coverage check. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, you you know, everybody, it, it happens seamlessly right before the snap. You know, they end up blanketing Tyree Kill. It ends up being an incomplete pass. And it shows you just kind of how all those things translate on the field. So it was it was fun to see that in real time. And I think it's a big reason why Woozy is playing well. Eli Apple, mm-hmm. I think you could say, is playing pretty well uh, given to what he's played, you know, throughout his career. And then the safeties are playing, you know, up to a good standard as well. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's that's a big reason why this team has been so good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, on the other side of the ball, on the offensive side of the ball, of course, the big story this offseason was addressing the offensive line, which everyone agreed had to happen. Bengals go out and sign a couple new free agents. The expectation is, if it's not fixed, at least it's significantly better. And then, mm, first few weeks, it was not all that much better. So, from the organization's perspective, do you think? They were surprised or panicking to any extent by how much the offensive line has struggled early on this season. No, and, and I think that when you look at it, it kind of made sense that it would take some time for this group to gel because you had essentially four new starters and two of the guys in Lyle Collins and Alex Kappa battled injuries throughout you know OTAs and training camp, mm-hmm. uh, respectively. And so that's kind of why it didn't it, it didn't maybe all mesh as quickly as they would have liked. Collins, you know, was put on the NFI list with a back issue, really didn't get going until the end of training camp. And so when you look at that side, you got Ted Karras at center. And then, you know, rookie Cordell Volson, a fourth-round pick out of North Dakota State, he ended up winning the left guard job over Jackson Carmen, a second-rounder they got 
last year. And mm-hmm. quite frankly, it wasn't even close. And so they, they ended up having to get all of those guys together, that, that chemistry together. Uh, like I, what we talked about with, with the corners and the secondary, that was kind of lacking on that side of the ball. But when you look at the numbers now, I think that they've played better. You've seen Joe Burrow become a little bit more comfortable. And quite frankly, I think that's probably the key thing as much as anything. I think, mm-hmm. you know, there are a lot of, you know, football experts and, and people like yourself who are a lot smarter than me oh. who have talked about the, the, you know, what's interesting is the sack rates, you know, when you look at it, the correlation may be in terms of the, the quarterbacks and not necessarily always the offensive line. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I, and I think that's something that we maybe saw early on. And it was interesting when you saw Burrow get sacked a ton, you know, Ted Karras, who has been a, a guy who's been more than, he's been a very good addition. I think that he's exactly what the Bengals wanted mm-hmm. in the type of guy as a center. He, he flat out said, you know, we, we're not, he needs to feel comfortable back there. He needs to trust us. Right. And so far that hasn't happened yet. And over the last two weeks, you have seen that level of trust and, and that that comfort definitely manifest itself. You know, when you look at it, I believe, you know, in, in the last couple of weeks, it, it, the sack numbers have gone down just three sacks in the last mm-hmm. two games. Yep. You know, the, the sacks per drop back has plummeted, um, you know, and, and so there, I believe it's down to the 25th in the NFL at 4.1%. Mm-hmm. So it shows you that, you know, granted one of those teams, you were playing the Jets, but, you know, Miami does have a good front, but all mm-hmm. in all, Burrow has looked, in my opinion, I think he has looked more comfortable, and it's why the offense has looked like and it's it's felt like it, there's been a better sense of rhythm, a better sense of cohesion. Mm-hmm. It's looked more like, to be quite frankly, it looked, looked more like a functional unit these last couple of weeks, and it just wasn't the case early on. Now, that being said, I still think there's a lot of questions about this offense, mm-hmm. which I don't think is necessarily a great sign given how we expected this Bengals team to look at the beginning of the season. Right. I mean, our last memory of the Bengals was pretty much firing on all cylinders, having a great postseason, you know, massive comeback against the Chiefs. And granted, even in that postseason, there was the nine sack game against Tennessee and there was the first half against Kansas City. And, you know, there were moments where they did struggle on offense for sure. But I mean, you know, it's funny. I'm just had a conversation with Brooke Pryor where we said uh, we're too old to say the word vibes, but I'm going to use the word vibes here. Like the vibes were great around the Bengals. And now that it's, it's, it feels like it's a work in progress back to get back where it was during uh, that Super Bowl run. Um, from your perspective, do you feel like they have that confidence back? Like, do you think they're sort of in the place they were before the season where they feel pretty confident about their chances? Or is it still kind of a work in progress given how sloppy that 0-2 start was? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. You know, we asked Zach Taylor about that the other day, and he basically was like, I told y'all not to panic. I told y'all <laughs> all going to be okay. And and I, I get it. I get what he's saying. But I think – and I've tried to explain this to other people because I, I, I feel like I do need to address the fact that Bengals fans do now believe me to be a, a sort of a hater. about this team, but I think that there is a big difference in how you should view this team. I think if the Bengals were the same franchise that had been sputtering for several years, had that postseason drought, uh, were not expected to do anything but finish last in the AFC North, I think you can be content with going two and two and and now being tied for the lead in the division, going into week five at Baltimore. I, I think that all of that sounds great. However, we saw last year that those this team is capable of being better. In my generally, when I cover a team as well, you look at okay, what is the ceiling for this team realistically, mm-hmm. and are you doing are you maximizing your potential? 
And I think that is where the rub comes with this team. Because when you look at the offensive numbers and the playmakers they have, this legitimately should be a top five offense. Mm -hmm. And they are nowhere near that. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, we, Zach Taylor earlier in the week talked to uh, the, the team reporter. He generally does this before his Wednesday press conference. And you kind of get a sense of what he might say at the press conference by filtering through uh, what he tells the, the team website. Mm-hmm. And he was asked about the, the team identity, and he kind of gave a very ambiguous answer and basically said the identity is, you know, what we need it to be. You know, this is a gross paraphrase here. But, you know, it, it's I, I feel like. It looks the offense looks a lot like it did last year, where sometimes we'll struggle to do much of anything mm-hmm. against good defenses, and then all of a sudden it'll look like it does against Kansas City and Baltimore, and and uh, you know in 2021, and really just go lights out. Burrow's going to throw for 500 yards. They're going to go toe to toe with Patrick Mahomes and end up winning. I think that's it, it's just such a wild, you know, it just the spectrum is so diff- there's such a variance across the spectrum, I should mm-hmm. say. And I think that I don't know how sustainable that is. And I feel like you you would, you know, personally, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I honestly think you're one of the, the smartest guys who are smartest people nice. who cover the game. Nice. In, in that, you know, I, I just don't know if that's a viable way to win at a high level. And especially when you look at what happened in the postseason, mm-hmm. it, that offense wasn't necessarily sustainable. I mean, the fact that it, it fluctuated so much almost cost them a, I mean it not almost it did cost them a Super Bowl because had that offense been any better they probably end up beating the Rams mm-hmm. yeah I mean certainly you know the defense really balled out for most of that game and and absolutely did enough to win that game and the offense I mean we saw that final play right I mean Jamar Chase had Jalen Ramsey beat if Joe Burrow could have just stayed upright for a second longer um you know I I it, it certainly seems tougher at the very least right like I think just just as a coach, you probably want that consistency. You know, okay, like, yes, you want to have the 40-point upside, and we know they have that in their pocket. They know that they can pull that out if they absolutely need to, but you also want to have a floor. You also want to say, okay, I know we're getting 21 points. Like, I, I know that we can have that in our back pocket as well, or we're going to get we're gonna get there eventually one way or another every single game. And I think part of that is the running game. You know, I think when you have a really good running game, you have that floor. And so I think that's the part that maybe I look at the Bengals and say, okay, like that's the part that's missing right now. Yeah, and that run game is atrocious. I'm going to be quite honest. It's it's very bad. I mean, you had Joe Mixon essentially calling in, uh, calling in the offensive line for a meeting saying, hey, you know, can we we all need to get on the same page. I need mm-hmm. to see what you guys are seeing. You need to see what I'm seeing. We, we just need – and Mixon is very confident that it's going to work, but – I mean, the metrics just do not, they're yeah. not in his favor. And also when you look at his usage over the lab, I mean, I just, I just did a, a big video on this on YouTube kind of explaining a lot of these numbers, you know, when you look at it, they're, they're not good. And then you also have to look at um, his age and the usage he has. And the only guy who's really as bad as he is, as prominent as he is, is Derrick Henry. Now, granted, two different offenses. Obviously, the Titans now have a you know different, you know, defenses are going to play them a lot differently because of the way those offenses are currently built. But it's still something, I think it's a notable data point when you're talking about it. You know, for me, for the Bengals, I, I think the one thing I want to see is that they're, I, I, I'm a big drive rates person. I think, you know, covering mm-hmm. college football, you know, there's because there's so many different styles of how yep. the game is played. I think drive rates are really one of the only equalizers and they generally give you a true sense of where a team is at. And Cincinnati's touchdowns per drive 
and 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 um and yards per play mm-hmm. they're they're very different and i think that you would want to see them a little bit together and you and when you and if that you know that drive rate for for touchdowns per drive and points per drive and once that comes down i think you're that's when the bengals are going to be in a little bit of trouble you know during this two game you know winning streak if you want to call it that right now they're they're 10th in points per drive but in yards per play they're 19th mm-hmm. uh, which is a little bit of a it's a it's a pretty big gap and you and I, I feel like you know the when you look at the good offenses just strictly by you know what we view as good offenses they're a lot mm-hmm. higher in that yards per play metric and you know it shows you that you're able to move the ball well and it's not so much of a slog and sometimes for the Bengals it definitely is so that will be something to watch you know as they continue to try to figure this thing out mm-hmm. absolutely um, as we hit on this Ravens game here as we wrap up um, this is such an inter- interesting matchup because you have a Bengals team that we know from that Chiefs game and from other games in the past, like the Jaguars game last year, they can come back and they can come back in, in a big way in the second half of games. They can get hot, even if they look, look like they're a mess and struggling, they can make that move and just turn on the afterburners and they're a different offense. And from the Ravens side of things, look at what they've done and Lamar Jackson and company have blown two 17 plus point leads in three weeks, which is not something they typically do. They were 20 and 0 in those games under Lamar Jackson before these last three weeks. So, do you think the Ravens are susceptible to a similar sort of game against the Bengals where they get out to a big lead early and then the Bengals roar back and give the Ravens another scare? Yeah, I think that's definitely something that can happen. And and the reason is, is when you have when you have an offense like the Bengals have, if that thing clicks, then, you know, you're able to put up a lot of points quickly. And, you know, I think Lamar is playing exceptional. You know, you know, mm-hmm. Jameson Henley, our, our Ravens reporter, you know, we're doing a story, you know, about both the quarterbacks and how in this game and how, you know, while there are a lot of long-term questions about what the quarterback situation at Cleveland and Pittsburgh are going to look like, mm-hmm. there is no debate about that. Uh, in Cincinnati and Baltimore and yep. Lamar is playing or, you know, I think anybody who's looking at it knows that he's playing above that 2019 MVP season, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that defense is a question mark. But when you look at how the Bengals are built defensively, they're in a pretty good position to, to, to play Baltimore. They're built mm-hmm. basically for these AFC North kind of games where, you know, teams are going to try to run the ball and your best option is really to attack them through the air. And teams have quickly figured that out. I mean, it's very, very difficult to run against the Bengals. We saw that in the postseason, the way that they're just built mm-hmm. through the middle. Even with DJ Reader out, you know, the linebackers have been very solid. You know, Josh Tupau coming in for Reader has been very good. BJ Hill, another sneaky addition, very yep. much Chidabe Awuzie playing very well. So, and I think that Hendrickson's gotten better against the run and Sam Hubbard is a very good edge rusher against the run. One of the better ones you'll see in the league uh, in that regard. So I I think that that's going to be the question. Can Baltimore throw the ball effectively against the Bengals? Will they essentially maybe deviate a little bit from their DNA and decide that even though, you know, they, they are very good, especially with Lamar running the ball, uh, you know, Lamar is an excellent passer. He definitely does not get the credit he he deserves for, for various reasons, but the Bengals know he can sling it. Anybody who watches them knows he can sling it. So, you know, how will they attack Cincinnati? I think that could be the thing that, that really dictates this game. Yeah. I mean, certainly uh, we've seen the Bengals take out opposing teams, top tight ends in the past. And Travis Kelsey comes to mind in that game where they, you know, the second half of that game, they doubled Kelsey. They, they doubled Tyree kill forced the other receivers uh, on the chiefs to try and beat them. 
and wouldn't be surprised if we saw that from them on Sunday, where it was more of a let's take out Mark Andrews, let's try to get the the, the Ravens to beat us with Devin Duvernay or maybe an injured Rashad Bateman. I think that's something we could see from the Bengals. My last question for you, Ben, is is sort of a broader question about these first four weeks and about the expectations for the Bengals heading into the season. Obviously, when you make it to the Super Bowl, expectations within a fan base or, or from someone who covers the team are going to be high, and deservedly so. The Bengals are a young team. They're an exciting team, and they prove they can be a very competitive team. But after these first four games of the year, given the slow start, given the improvement afterwards, have your expectations for the Bengals in 2022 changed versus what your expectations were before the season? Good question. I don't know that. I think you know, going into the season, I expected them to, you know, maybe to, to at least make the postseason. You know, I think they they should really theoretically win the AFC North because of kind of the reasons we're seeing in Baltimore, especially defensively. I think that those mm-hmm. question marks are going to continue yeah. long term for the Ravens, and and the Bengals are positioned well. But in terms of how they stack up against the rest of the AFC, you know, I, I think that you know rational people would expect Buffalo and Kansas city to be the front runners to win the conference, even though the Bengals are coming back, because I think quite honestly, there is the the questions about the offense were the thing that held people back from really being a little bit more optimistic on the Bengals. And we're seeing that, you know, come to fruition through the first four weeks. And so I I think with this offense, it's just, it's an untrustworthy offense. I'm going to be quite honest. It just, it's something where you don't know exactly how they're going to, to attack certain games, mm-hmm. you know, if they're going to be good enough to 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 be as explosive as they should be on paper. And anytime you have that, you just don't know what you're going to get. I think that it reduces the margin for error. You know, your defense has to play at a very, very high level. And, and I think that's a lot of pressure to put on one side of the ball if the offense isn't going to click. You need probably a, a more consistent offense. And so that's what I, I that's what holds me back from you know being thinking that they could you know feeling better about them repeating as AFC champions. I think that they still should, quite frankly, win the division. I, I, they should at least win a playoff game. And after that, we'll see how it goes from there. Mm-hmm. But but I, I think that this offensive start, it is a cause for concern because you expected this to be a little bit better than it has. They've slowly started to figure some things out. But even in these victories, it hasn't looked maybe as as good as you'd want it to look. And that might be nitpicking. Again, that might just be me, me being the resident Bengals hater. But <laughs> I, I think that those are the questions you should ask when you have a team uh, that ha- talks about the winning the things that they want to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, expectations are higher than they have been in the past, and they should be. This is a team that we know can win a Super Bowl, and that is a very different expectation from where the Bengals had been over the past few years. Ben, where can people check out more of your Bengals coverage? Yeah, you know, just over on our website at ESPN.com, where we'll find you and, and all of our other folks who cover the league and uh, on Twitter at Ben underscore baby, which uh, we might get some bad takes over there. So I will, uh, so buyer beware if you're going to go over that way. But yeah, we're, we're actually doing a lot more stuff on YouTube this year uh, so far. That's, that's been received really well. And it's been, it's been, it's been a bit of a challenge, uh, you know, trying to become a, yeah, that, that's a, it's an interesting medium to try to figure that out, but it's been a lot of fun. So mm-hmm. uh, definitely look out for some stuff over there. We just, like I said earlier, dropped that video on Mixon and kind of what maybe isn't going well and some of the things that they're looking at. So uh, those are all the places to find content. Yeah, definitely strongly recommend checking Ben out. He, he's being too harsh on his Twitter takes. They're good. Definitely recommend checking Ben out on Twitter and checking out his coverage on ESPN. Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks so much, Bill. 
All right. Thanks so much to my guest today covering the AFC North, Brooke Pryor covering the Steelers, Ben Baby covering the Bengals. A really interesting division in so many ways. Hope you guys are enjoying the NFL season. We are a quarter. Well, that's not true. We were a quarter way through in the 16-game era. Now it's 17. We're like 20, I don't know. I can't do math in my head. 20-something percent through the NFL season. You get the idea. We've made some progress. A chunk of the year is gone. We know a little bit about these teams. So hope you are succeeding with your preseason predictions. I don't think I am very much, but we will check that out in the months to come. I hope you guys are enjoying the football so far, and we'll have more audio on the Bill Barnwell Show on the way soon.